about, and again, we're not asking for you to shout it out. That might be pretty embarrassing, especially if you consider what I'm going to ask. Um, what is the strangest way that you've ever been awakened? Strangest way you've ever woke up, which some of you, some of your parents have probably been pretty crazy, right? Who knows? Just yesterday morning, I had a good one. Um, I will. This is not embarrassing, I don't think. Maybe it should be. I am um, pretty hard to embarrass, it's true. Well, I learned this morning, because it's just an aside, that shaving your head is holy. So, anyway, um, anyway it's hard to embarrass a holy man. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, yesterday, so most of y'all know we got this husky for Christmas time. and I was laying in bed on my belly yesterday at 6.45 a.m., and he can't jump up in our bed because our bed's too high, but his paws reach up into our bed, and I happen to be an edge sleeper. I kind of sleep on the edge of the bed, and so I'm laying there asleep, and two big husky paws land on my back. <laughs> well, it gets better, okay? So my, my lovely servant-minded wife takes the dog out at 6.45 a.m. And I go back to sleep pretty quickly. A few minutes later, very few minutes later, my wife walks in the room, turns on the light, and drops the leash on the bed. Anybody want what's going on here? She said, he's gone. He broke off his chain, and he took off. I don't know where he is. No <laughs>
lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down at midnight. The man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, Make you blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Well, I am until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went to the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How would you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back in and to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Father, thank you for this beautiful historical account, this beautiful picture of redemption that you give us. Help us, Holy Spirit, to understand it. Help us to apply it. And God, if there be one here this morning that is not under the shadow of your wings, would you redeem them? Would you awaken them to the life that is theirs in Christ Jesus by the power of your Holy Spirit today? Make haste, Lord Jesus. Do it today. We ask in Jesus' name. May we see it. Man. I hope, uh, and, and I hope you've been marinating in this book. I really do. I hope you've been reading it and rereading it and listening to stuff and watching stuff and reading stuff. Um, so incredible. So, so edifying. So we're going to start just the first one and pick a little background and we'll break it down in sections after that. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? All right, so after ending the second chapter a couple weeks ago, we find ourselves here in chapter 3. Chapter 1, we were breaking down Ruth in four R words. The first chapter we had called Ruin, as chapter 1 was made up of a lot of hard, bad things, famine, death, grief. And then last time that we were in Ruth two weeks ago, we said that chapter 2 was relief. As Ruth goes to glean to help provide and finds favor in the eyes of a man named Boaz, a worthy man, who just so happened, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, to be a close relative from Naomi's deceased husband's family, putting him in prime position to not just help them some, but he may even, just as it happens to work out, he might even play a role of a redeemer for the family name and the family land, and for Ruth and Naomi. Now here in chapter 3, 
after ruin and relief, chapter 3 is titled, Romance. That's right. That's right. Things are going to heat up here in this chapter as we just read. You're going, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? Okay? And the action starts in a really neat way here in verse 1. Again, look at it. Are we still
Naomi's focus in helping Ruth settles rightly on Boaz. In him there is strength, Boaz's name meant. Is he not, Naomi says, our relative? Hmm? I love that. She's including Ruth as her, as us, as our, right? They are family. Naomi and Ruth are family. Even though blood doesn't connect them, they are family. And as family, they have a relative, a kinsman. And you might remember that from the introductory message. It's important to have a kinsman who will be your redeemer if you have lost. So that this kinsman redeemer, this next of kin, will step in and take the responsibility of having a child with the widow so that the family name doesn't die away. And to take the land so that the land stays in the family. Okay? God has made provision for that. Because it's important that the family name goes on. It's important that the, the widow has a child so that the, um, the deceased man might have an inheritor. And it's important that the widow is taken care of as well. So here, Naomi says, this man, Boaz, is a relative, a kinsman. And he really might be able to not just help us a little bit by giving us a little bit of grain. This guy really might be able to save us. The same Boaz whom Ruth had gleaned in his field and had been given grain from his hand. And so Naomi hatches a plan. It seems like she's been hatching it a while. Okay, This isn't like she's just like, hey, wait a second. Why don't I thought she's a... I got a plan, Boaz, kinsman, redeemer, mom-in-law is scheming. And she, and see, she says, see, and you go into one of these sequences that you see in a movie that's like this fantasy sequence, this dream sequence. See? Right? And this plan unfolds like a dream sequence, kind of. See? This Boaz is going to be winnowing barley tonight. So you see Boaz. It's barley harvest, right? We saw that before. Well, the farmers would take their grain and they'd kind of have a community winnowing party. They'd have the threshing floor, which was usually a flat, rocky area in town or on the outskirts of town, and they would work in the evening using the night breezes, the evening breezes, and they'd, they'd feed on this grain and they'd take a fork or a rake type of thing, root of the, and they'd throw it up in the air, and those night breezes would take the light stuff, the chaff, which they didn't need, and blow it away, and the grain would fall onto the ground. Okay? And it, this was kind of a party. Now, remember, there's been a famine in the land for 10 plus years. There's been no bread in the house of bread. Can you imagine how much of a celebration this threshing and winnowing Season would be, whole town would be there. They're partying. They're having a good time. We got grain. We got food. We can eat. Praise God. From whom all blessings flow. Praise God. We're going to win up. Okay. I'm part of the So they, they had this winnowing party, okay? And they work in the evening. And they take the grain and throw it up in the air and the grain and fall to the ground. And they're just, they're just celebrating their guts out. And these winnowing evenings were like parties. But now parties sometimes can devolve, right, into some not-so-nice situations. And remember, we're in the time of the judges when everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. 
So just think, working, eating, drinking, partying, and then there were probably other things going on at the threshing floor. Let's just say it that way. Okay? So it, it, it's, it's fun to think about the party and stuff. This was not a good time. But Naomi says in her dream sequence still that Boaz will be winnowing this very evening at the threshing floor. So, Ruthie, get yourself all gussied up. Wash yourself. Good idea, ladies. Perfume yourself. Also not a bad idea, ladies. And put on your cloak. We'll get to that in a minute. And go down there while they're working. But, and I love that Naomi has thought this through so meticulously, but don't show yourself yet. Wait until Boaz has worked, has eaten, has drank, and then laid down. See, what would happen is they'd winnow their grain and they'd pile their grain up, and then they'd sleep at their grain pile lot to keep people from stealing it. Okay? My grain. My grain. <laughs> um, I didn't mean that. That just happened. <laughs> so they, they sleep at their grain to protect it from thieves. They were. So watch and see where he lays down, Naomi says. Make sure you know where he's laying because you're going to go back later and you're going to make your move. And you want to make sure that you're making that move with the right guy, right? So when you come back, she says, now watch this. Oh boy, oh boy. Then go and uncover his feet. Right. Right. Stephen gets it. What? We'll talk about this more in the next section. But for now, the plan is, watch where he goes. And when it's night, he's asleep, go back and uncover his feet. Lay down. And then listen for what he tells you to do. So now let me summarize this plan for you. Ready? Ruth's like, let me get this straight. You want me to get all dolled up, go down to the threshing floor, which just makes sense. I'm going to get my good stuff on the threshing floor. Okay, sure. Creep on this guy who's been really good to us. Watch where he lays down to sleep. Then go back after he's asleep amongst all the passed out winnowing partiers. Then tiptoe up next to him and you want me to uncover his feet and lay down at his feet. Right? Yeah. Okay. Now we'll unpack it back this a little bit more in the next section, like I said. But Ruth just takes it on in and says, all that you say, I will do. Ruth's just a faithful lady. Not really a situation that we would say, yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. Modern day singles swipe left or right on their phone based on their preferences on looks alone. Now, not that I recommend Naomi's matchmaking process either. <laughs> but Ruth just says, okay, I'll do exactly what you told me to do. And this is going to be risky for everybody involved. Okay? And then the dream sequence ends, and Ruth says, I'll do it. Now, verses 6 to 9. So, she went down to the threshing floor. And did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are. 
let's open the backpack here. Let's pull some things out. So she goes down like Naomi told her to. And after Boaz's work day was over and he had eaten and drank, he was feeling good, he laid down at the end of a heap of grain. And she comes softly, it says, and uncovered his feet and laid down. Okay, so that's what was commanded by Naomi. So now what? Well, sometime in the middle of the night, Boaz's toes got a little bit cold. Even the air is cold on them bare feet, right? So he feels this breeze on his uncovered feet, and he starts. He turns over, and behold, behold indeed. Stop and pay attention to this, right? There's a woman laying there who wasn't there when he fell asleep. And he's like, um, doesn't want to get done, do something. She's like, no, no. Why wouldn't he know Ruth? A couple reasons. It was dark, obviously. And that cloak that Naomi had told her to wear would have been a full head covering, more likely than not. I don't know if you know the story well, but back when Jacob was working for Rachel, he worked seven years for her. They had the bridal party, and Jacob wakes up, and guess who's not in his bed? Rachel. It's her older sister Leah that's in bed with him. He's like, what the heck? I worked seven years for Rachel. That's my version. That's the Jason version. That doesn't <laughs> now, how could he have consummated the marriage and slept there all night and not known that it was somebody else? Her head was covered. He literally woke up. <laughs> Go there. He literally woke up and there was somebody different in the bed than he expected. So Ruth is probably laying here with a full head covering. Okay? And it is dark. So he says, who are you? And the voice that came out from behind that covering. Oh, barefooted Boaz hears a voice that he is familiar with. Who are you? And she answers him with a familiar voice. I'm Ruth, your servant. She's been working in this field. She's been receiving favor from him. And now she lays down beside him and says, hey, it's and she calls herself his servant, which is very humble, for sure. She's not his servant. He hasn't purchased her, and she's not his slave, but she calls herself his servant. And there's nothing sensual or sexual here. Don't go there. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But then this, I am Ruth, your servant, and this Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now this is really, 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 really big. If you'll remember, Naomi said, get this far, uncover his feet, and then he'll tell you what to do. Well, that's not what happens. Ruth doesn't just say, hey, chill, Bo, it's me, Ruth. Naomi said, you tell me what to do from here. She says quite a bit more in her next unscripted sentence. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now remember, Boaz had basically prayed that God would reward Ruth 
after she had sought shelter under the Lord's wings. And we talked about how that concept of wings and garment and covering referred back to how God had said that he had covered the nation of Israel with the corner of his garment, initiating a marriage covenant with them. Well, that's exactly what Ruth is doing here. She is asking Boaz to cover her with the corner of his garment. She's proposing to him. Can't say I saw that coming. In my dream sequence, Boaz says, hey, I want to marry you. But see, there's some age stuff going on here. Right? Because Ruth takes the wheel here and she floors it. And if you don't grasp the what? No, hugeness of this. Commentator Daniel Block emphasizes it this way. Quote, here is a servant demanding that the boss marry her. A Moabite making the demand of an Israelite. A woman making the demand of a man. A poor person making the demand of a rich man. Was this an act of foreigner naivete or a daughter-in-law's devotion to her mother-in-law or another sign of the hidden hand of God? From a natural perspective, the scheme was doomed from the beginning as a hopeless gamble, and the responsibility Naomi placed on Ruth was quite unreasonable, end of quote. And I would add, not only was Naomi's plot crazy in light of what we just read, but Ruth's improv job here just makes it even crazier. Naomi's expecting Boaz to do this. Ruth's saying, you going to do it or not? It's the Redeemer's job to take the initiative and save the family name and land. It's his job. This Moabite widow should be receiving the benefits of someone initiating help for her. But here she is taking things into her own hands. It's pretty wild. Boaz had prayed she would be rewarded. Now Ruth is asking him to be the answer to his own prayer and reward her. And while it's not unheard of, it surely is not common. But now watch this. I'm going to explain why Ruth did this a little bit in verses 10 to 13. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men. Rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet uh-oh, there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. This just gets better and better. There's just so much here. So Boaz responds with another prayer for blessing for Ruth. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. Now, stop a second. That blessing, that's really nice. But what did he call her? My what? My daughter. Now, guys, I don't recommend that. If you're chasing the girl and you were thinking things might go somewhere, you're going to marry her, don't call her my daughter. That's not going to earn you good points with her. So what's going on here? 
And he says that she has made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you've not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. Now, he's not unsettled that she proposed to him, oddly enough, but rather he's feeling blessed that she is proposing to him instead of a young man. Which means what? He's an old man. He's older than her. And actually, there were provisions in all of this, which came in later, not in the Bible, but if it was a younger woman seeking to marry an older man, it was kind of put in her court to approach the older man because it's a little bit creepy, right? For an older man to approach a younger girl, hey, baby. She's like, <laughs> no. We call that a sugar daddy, right? And it's creepy. Creepy. So he's quite a bit older than her. And here's a young lady approaching an older man asking him to marry her. But there's no vibe of any sugar daddiness here. That's not what's going on. He doesn't give any indication that he's feeling used or manipulated. He feels blessed and impressed with her, young as she is. And then he assures this daughter of his that he will indeed accept her proposal. He said yes to the dress, not the dress. He said yes to the blanket warmer, I guess. <laughs> Cover my feet back up. Yes, anything you want. I will do for you all that you ask. And then he says that everybody in town knows that she's a worthy woman. He's a fan. But he's not the only one. Everybody in town is talking about the worth of this woman. Now, Boaz had been called a worthy man in chapter 2, verse 1, and now he's calling her a worthy woman from his and the whole town's perspective. But then he drops a bomb. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Wait, what? Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Uh -oh. All this providence of God thing was going along quite nicely. Now there's a bump in the road, right? He's not first in line. And the way the leveret marriage laws go, it is the closest relative who is to redeem the family land and bloodline. And here's Boaz in a time when people are doing what's right in their own eyes, and he's keeping the law of God to the letter. And he doesn't have a Bible app to refer to to know whether he should do this or not. He knows. He knows the law is written on his heart. And he knows, and again, I think you might have been thinking before, man, I could probably redeem her if this joker over here get out of the way. But it's not my place. So even here, after she proposes to him, he says, there's somebody else who's before me. I like Boaz. He's a good man. Everybody else is doing what's right in their eyes, and he's keeping the law of God to the letter. He's a keeper. No wonder she proposes. My question is, why hasn't he been married before? Is he a widower? Has he been single this whole time? Don't know. Just happens this way. But anyway, this could be a pretty inconvenient thing after all this finagling, right? This is not the, and they all lived happily ever after ending. We all want, is it? Somebody else is going to redeem her? Well, that, that's like one of those crappy endings to a movie or TV show. You're like, I hated that. They shouldn't have done that. 
What was the show, Lost? Everybody gets all engaged in it. Sorry, I'm going to ruin it for you. It's all dream. That's what it is. It's all dream. Well, that's stupid. Sorry, J.J. Abrams. Not sorry. <laughs> this is kind of one of those things like, no, 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 don't end it this way. These two people are supposed to be together. The storyteller is making us feel. Dang it all, Boaz. Can't you just skirt the issue a little bit? Can't you just take this woman? No, nobody's going to say anything. And he will not do it. Not Boaz. Remain tonight, he says, and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Now, don't read too much into those statements. Remain tonight and lie down until morning. This is not Kenny Rogers and Sheena Easton. we got tonight who needs tomorrow. That's not what's going on here. Bob Seeger said that too, didn't he? He did. Sorry. Nothing inappropriate here. These two people are both beautifully pious and modest. There's no innuendo. There's nothing inappropriate here. And if you hear any preacher preaching this message, like, ooh, la, la, ooh, this is, it's not. This is completely modest, completely pious. And so in saying, stay here with me, he's protecting her. Ruth is in a barn filled with merry-hearted men who are bedding down at the end of the day. And it would have been unsafe for her to leave. It was unsafe for her to glean in broad daylight. How much more unsafe would it be for her to tiptoe through a barn full of probably drunk winnowers? So he says, you stay here. You stay here. You stay here. He knows that beside him is the safest place she could be. So he tells her to stay. In the morning, he would get this redemption process underway one way or another. If the closer redeemer would redeem her, then so be it. But if he won't, Boaz says, I certainly will. So lie down until morning. I'll take care of this. Rest well in perfect peace. So, she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. <laughs> put it on her. What does that mean? Then she went into the city. Wow. Now, now, don't miss that detail at the beginning of verse 14. So she lay where? At his feet until morning. Again, there's nothing inappropriate here. She lay down all night long at his feet where she had originally laid down. No cuddles, no spooning. No, she's at his feet. These two are models, y'all. Examples of purity and respect. And then it says that she arose before she could be recognized. She got out before there could be any accusations or covered mouths. Oh, I saw that little black woman leaving the threshing floor. And she was with Boaz. No chance. Nobody sees her. 
The only people that would have seen her, supposedly, would have been Boaz's workers. And Boaz makes sure that no word makes it past the threshing floor by telling his people to not let it be known that Ruth had been there at all. There's too much at stake to get the rumor going. So leave no trace. Leave no doubt, Bill Stewart would say, right? <laughs> leave no doubt! She's, she's never here. Don't lie about it. Just don't bring it up. That's the goal. And he shows one more kindness as she leaves in the pre-dawn dark. And he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. <laughs> I can't get over that phrase, put it on her. He put that barley on her. <laughs> Hit me with your best shot. Pour some barley on me. There we go. <clears throat> now, this could be just a, oh, that's nice, more grain type of moment. But he puts his grain on her, having her hold out her garment. And he loads her down with six measures of barley. like, well, I don't know what that means. Let me tell you. The first batch that he sent home, we said, was about 30 pounds. But six measures, and depends on who you talk to, anywhere between 60 and 90 pounds. Wow. And he put it on her. And she carries that into the city. It's quite the woman. She's a beast, y'all. <laughs> And here she goes up the road in the dark before dawn carrying 90 pounds of grain. And what we're about to see in verses 16 to 18 is the last recorded conversation in the book between Naomi and Ruth. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Ruth's like, Get this off me. <laughs> then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So here's old Naomi. She ain't bitter no more. Old conniving mom-in-law. She wants to know the lowdown in the early days. She asks, how did you fare, my daughter? Now, Ruth gets called daughter times, right? Here, Boaz and Naomi called it But it's interesting to note, and Tony Merida, who wrote a, a really good commentary on this book, tells us that how did you fare, my daughter, should literally be read as, who are you, my daughter? Similar, if not exactly, what Boaz had asked Ruth when she laid down at his feet. Who are you? Did you get redeemed? You got a new name? Tell me all about it. Don't leave out a detail. Alistair Begg makes an intriguing point here when he says, Ladies, don't do anything that you don't want your affectionate mother to know about. What'd you do last night? Let me tell you everything I did last night. That's a good way to live. Ladies and fellas, by the way. Don't do anything that you would tell your mom or dad about. You're like, oh, give me a break. No, I'm serious. Beg adds that much headache and heartache will be spared that way. Hmm. I'll just leave that there. And she does. She tells her everything. Nothing is left out. Everything gets told, which, by the way, proves, too, that there was nothing inappropriate there. 
And there is joy and excitement. There is not regret or shame for impropriety. Well, Naomi, we just couldn't help ourselves. We're going to talk a lot about that when we get that vision. Actually, Ruth adds a detail that the narrator didn't include in the account when Ruth was leaving. Ruth tells Naomi that Boaz had said that those 90 pounds of barley was given because you must not go back empty-handed to your mother. We didn't see that before. Boaz knows that any deal with or for Ruth is going to include Naomi. And he's not hampered by that at all. He's actually proactive in showing that he will care for Ruth and Naomi. Here's 90 pounds of grain. Because your mother-in-law needs to receive something in all this too. He knows that Ruth and Naomi have shared so much life. And he knows that if he ends up homesteading with Ruth, Naomi's line will be redeemed in the process. And he is for it enthusiastically, as is Naomi. She replies to Ruth, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle this matter today. She's feeling pretty good about her matchmaking maneuver and is impressed even more now that she hears back from what Boaz had said, what Boaz had done, and who Boaz is. She's not just plotting and scheming and this guy's a redeemer. She's like, this guy's a good man. It's almost another reiteration of what Boaz had said at the threshing floor when he told Ruth to rest there. And he says, wait, my daughter. You don't have to do anything else. He's going to take care of this. He will not rest, but will settle this matter Anybody ever come up to a day that you didn't wait before? Like, today's the day. It's today. Naomi's like, it's today. It's going to happen today. Oh, the power of impending joy. Ray Comfort tells a story of receiving a large pledge of support for his ministry. Got a phone call. I'm, we're going to give you X amount. That's a lot of money. And he said he rejoiced visibly. He ran up the aisle of the church building between the pews, praising God, thanking God. And what he said was... I didn't have anything in my hands, but I had a promise that was coming. These ladies here have a promise that's coming. Today. Today's the day. How's it going to end? Well, we're going to find out today. It was coming, and the joy of the certainty of it empowered Naomi and Ruth. Naomi knows that the sun will not set before all of this is settled. I think she's got a pretty good feeling about it. How's it going to end? Well, Lord willing, we'll find out next week. But for now, we turn our attention to application from chapter 3. And we're going to focus our application points on 3Ds. 3D application. Do, don't, and decide. Do, don't, decide. That's not a good sentence. Those are three good application points, but it's not a good sentence. Do, don't, decide. Do, don't, decide. First one is do. How do we apply what we've looked at today? How do we apply what the truth of God's Word has shown in our hearts today? And I love what Don said last week. Implication is probably a better word. Because applications will look different in everybody's life. What are the implications of how you should apply this passage in your life? First Application, implication, blah, blah, application. Point is do. Now, we've talked a lot, rightly, about providence. 
as we went through this book. And God is orchestrating things, and God is causing all things to work together for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. And that is absolutely 100% true. But listen to me. Providence should not lead us to inaction. Amen. We are to do. Amen. Tony Merida again says this God's sovereignty is not a license for human inactivity. That would not be trusting the Lord, but testing the Lord. No, Merida says, we should work and act in view of and because of God's work and God's activity. So how do you balance that? You don't. It's not about balance. Today, if you're here, you're sitting, you're eating, Eat to the glory of God. Sit and talk to your neighbor there in front of you, beside you, to the glory of God. Go home and love on your family to the glory of God. Wake up in the morning and go to work and go work for the glory of God. And as you do, God is working in your doing. I say this a lot, and I don't I don't know how you feel about it. I struggle with it some myself. The primary way that God works in our day and time is through people. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus. And if he's going to reach out, he's going to reach out through you. He's going to reach out through me. So go do We've used those verses, so I didn't use them again because I'm tired of using them, but I say them. Colossians 3, 17. Whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God through Him. Whether you eat or drink or any such thing. 1 Corinthians 10, I think. Do all the glory of God. Purposefully doing for God's praise and watch God work in your life. That's what it means to do. James would tell his readers, be doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And who's doing the blessing? God is. You do. God blesses. God acts. God works. Providentially in the everyday, the mundane. Amen. Do it. Don't just listen about it. Hear about it. Talk about it. Go do it. And now it's funny because I never really questioned until the last couple weeks. Should Naomi have done what she did? I mean, it is kind of scheming, right? It is kind of plotting. And I heard, heard and read some stuff where they said she should not have done that. And God worked anyway. Okay, whatever. I, I don't see the problem with it. But I can see where they would say that. Um, she kind of made stuff happen. And that's okay. But we've got to be careful 
Because sometimes we can get to the point where we feel like I should do something. I should make something happen here. Be careful. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm saying be careful. Because we can get out of line there. And we can try to play God. And we can try to do so much that we're putting ourselves, this is what God should do. It's a balancing act sometimes. It's kind of hard to decide, should I, shouldn't I? Jesus says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep against the wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. There's a call to wisdom here. There's a call to discernment in our doing. I'm not saying just go out there and do whatever. I'm saying be wise. And let your doing be based on the Word of God and trust God to bless what you're doing. And if you can't do it in Jesus' name, don't do it. So do. Second application point. Don't. There are things we should do. There are things we don't do, too. I don't drink or chew or run with those who do. That's not what I'm talking about here, okay? I'm not talking about legalism and then splitting hairs and saying, should Christians do this, should Christians not do this? There are some things that it is clear Christians should not do. Don't do it! And the obvious application point is don't go around uncovering people's feet to try to find a husband. Okay, that's not the application. <laughs> but it ain't wrong, okay? Tuck that away. That's free. That's bonus material. There are things as believers, as followers of Christ, that we should not do. Why? Because there's sin. And we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, should be seeking to be holy and pure. And I just said a word that's a hot button word. I don't know how this happened. Pure. Purity culture has taken quite a hit in recent days. And let me just say this. It's not wrong to have a desire for purity. Purity culture ruined me. Somebody said, And I can see, I get it, I get it, I do, I do. We can take this too far as a church. And we can especially foist this on women to the point that it's just their job to make sure that everybody stays pure. That's not all right. Is he or she responsible for purity? And the answer is an emphatic yes. Listen to me. Believers, if you're not a believer, you don't go listen to me. It'd be nice if you did, but you ain't got it. Don't do anything that may cause your brother or sister to stumble. That's what I'm looking for in purity culture. That's what I think the scripture is clearly saying in purity culture, Romans 14. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide. Let us decide, individually and corporately, never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother or a sister. It's not my job to make sure he doesn't stumble. Yes, it is. It's not my job to make sure she doesn't stumble. Yes, it is. Don't do anything that may cause your brother or sister to stumble. Both Ruth and Boaz had opportunities to put a stumbling block in each other's path there. Didn't they? 
But they didn't. Not a scent, not a sniff of impropriety there. There's nothing suggestive in that passage. Nothing at all. It could have turned really quickly. Don't get me wrong. John Piper's book on his um, messages from Ruth is called A Sweet and Bitter Providence. Sex, love, and the sovereignty of God, I think. He says in there, quote, The mood of American life today is, if it feels good, do it. And away with guilt-producing puritanical principles of chastity and faithfulness. But I say to you, Piper says, who are unmarried, if the stars are shining in their beauty, and your blood is thudding like a hammer, and you are safe in the privacy of your place, Stop for the sake of righteousness. Let the morning dawn on your purity. End quote. I don't, I, if I could stand in front of this microphone and do it somehow, listen to me, unmarried people, especially you young people. If I could get down on my knees and beg you, I would. thing with Ruth and Boaz is, instead of there being a sensual encounter, a momentary pleasure, what happens there on that threshing floor instead of impropriety or sin? Worship happens. Blessed be you, daughter. Praise God for who you are. Praise God, Boaz, in whom there is might and strength for who you are. I want you to spread your garment over me. I want to be one with you. Praise God for that beautiful design. Now, getting back to what Piper said, the stars are shining in their beauty. Your blood is thudding like a hammer and you're safe in the privacy of your place. Stop for the sake of righteousness. Let me encourage you here. And you might laugh at me. I'd probably laugh at me. Instead of indulging in the moment, worship your creator. In that moment. God, I thank you for the promise that you've given beauty that you promised us, and we're going to wait, and we're going to worship you in the waiting. So why are you making such a big deal about this? Because it's a huge deal. Monstrous. 
And recently people have said something along the lines of that the Bible whispers about sexual sin. That makes me want to cuss. And I won't. I'll just say the heck it does. Ephesians 5, 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, yes, covetousness is in there too, it's not just sexual immorality, must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. 2 Timothy 2, 2. So flee youthful passions or lusts, as it says in some versions, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Why is that such a big deal? Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought, redeemed, ransomed with a price. So glorify God in your body. Please. In the power of the Holy Spirit, to the glory of God, let the morning screams from the housetops. And listen to me I'll, in this don't application point with this. That term sexual immorality is a junk drawer term. That means you open that drawer. What's in the sexual immorality drawer? Anything that is not consensual engagement, purposeful sexual involvement between a man and a woman who is married. Everything else is in the junk drawer. Looks, thoughts, words, actions, boys, girls, anything outside of a man and a woman who are married and who are coming together in a sexual union is sexual immorality. Anything else. That's true if you're married too. I'm not just talking to unmarried people here. And if you're sitting here thinking it gets easier when you get married, it doesn't. Too many of us can stand and testify. It doesn't get easier. There's a lot of opportunities for sexual morality. The junk drawer is full. <coughs> so anything outside of a husband and wife engaged in a sexual union is sexual immorality. Done with don't. Do, don't, and finally... I think I messed up at the beginning there. I said decide it's wrong. Decide it's wrong. I changed it. I remember now. It's decrease. Do, don't, decrease. That's not a good sentence either. So forget decide. Decide is not an application point. Sorry. Decrease. I got like three minutes. Okay. Here's, here's, here's where it all boils down to. Get outside of yourself. Decide to serve others instead of yourself. And that's exactly what we see happen to Naomi here at the beginning of this chapter. Should I not be taking care of you? Paul David Tripp says this, Your story is not an autobiography. 
Your story is a biography of wisdom and grace written by another. Every turn he writes into your story is right. Every twist of the plot is for the best. Every new character or unexpected event is a tool of his grace. Each new chapter advances his purpose. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. And the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. You want an example of what this looks like? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now that's what I call getting outside of yourself and living for someone. It's 2, 5 through 11. Don't have time for it. Look it up when you get home. Jesus emptied himself and took the form of a servant to the point of death. And in doing so, our Lord Jesus has covered us. Our Lord Jesus has given us shelter under his wings. He has clothed us in his righteousness. He has redeemed us. Decrease your passion for your own role. Pray for others and be to your own. Naomi became the answer to her own prayer. Boaz became the answer to his own prayer as they got out of the way and let God do what God wanted to do in the everyday and the mundane. The man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Listen to me. Jesus is ready, willing, and able to redeem you today. He gets the glory. Other people get the good, and our reward is sure. John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. Find your shelter under his wings. He is able, he is ready, and he will take care of the matter today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you are not just willing. There is no one closer who can or who will redeem us, but you will. And you will not rest until you've taken care of the matter. That you have taken care of the matter. And we praise you for that. And ask that you would, in this day, remind us of what you did by spreading your garment over us. Clothing us in your righteousness. For your glory and for our good. We love you. We praise you. And ask that if there be somebody here today that has not sought shelter under your wings, that you would cover them with the corner of your Bring them into your covenant. Help us to be those who know, God, what we should do, what we don't do. And may we decrease in our role and our own importance and our insight each and every day so that you might increase and the joy of others might increase because of us. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We just stand and receive a benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to our only God, our Savior. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. You're dismissed. Stay with us if you can.